Lord God, as we continue to reflect upon difficult words and lamentations, we wonder how we are to respond. We wrestle with your purposes. We pray, Lord, that we would have humble hearts and open and eager ears, ready to hear and follow where you lead. We pray all of this in the name of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Last week had a fantastic conclusion, right? The Lord's loving kindness never ceases. His mercies never fail, right? His compassions are new every morning. But Jeremiah didn't keep going. He stopped there and returned to lament. He, he, the, the tone of his, of, his, of his writing didn't progress reflecting on the Lord's loving kindnesses and the, the wonder of the Lord's redemption. Instead, it returned to the difficulty of the circumstances. He leads us right back into his present discomfort. And as we, you know, just a passing glance at this text, we realize that in this passage, he, he goes back and forth, switching between kind of plural language or corporate language and, and then individual language. And we see that he's, he's speaking again of the nation and of the difficulties, the present difficulties of the nation. Well, as we think about that, as we reflect on that, we see that he rightly recognizes now, in a way that he didn't in the first part of chapter 3, that the nation has sinned and it needs to repent. Now, I find it interesting that he doesn't refer to his own sin. I mean, we know that Jeremiah, like all of us, was a sinner who was saved by grace, but as he was reflecting on his ongoing life with the Lord in, in, the, in the way that he as an individual was responding to the difficulties around him, he didn't confess sin and say, you know, I, I, am, I am wrong. And as we talked last week, that, that has to fit into our own understanding of how the Lord is working in our midst uh, particularly when times of trouble come to us. But here, as he's referring to the nation, you know, he does recognize that they are wayward and sinful and they need to return to the Lord. They need to call out to Him. But strangely enough, the repeated motif through this second part of, of Lamentations 3 is unanswered prayer. Right? That, that the Lord um, has not listened to the prayer. I mean, you, you, you even see this in, in verses such as 56, is where Jeremiah says, You have heard my voice. It's not as though you know, the Lord has become deaf, He's heard His voice. But then He says, Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief. Well, 
How do we understand this? In thinking about parenting and, and children, you, you rightly understand this. As a parent, when you call your child's name and they're sitting right there and they don't respond, right? They, they hear you, but they're not listening, right? Well, well as Jeremiah is, is praying to the Lord, that is his sense is that the Lord has heard him, but he's not listening. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, as we enter into this discussion of Lamentations 4, we recognize that unanswered prayer is not just a problem for Jeremiah, but at some point or another, and maybe it's just me, but at some point or another, I'm guessing we've all had prayers that have gone unanswered, and it has caused some amount of consternation, some amount of frustration. Is the, what is the Lord doing? We ask the Lord to, for relief, for provision, and for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to happen. Uh, I think the description in Deuteronomy 28 is, is uh, appropriate where it seems as though the heavens have turned to bronze, right? We call out to the Lord in the heavens, but, it, but it's as though it's bronze and, and nothing gets through. And we, we wrestle with that. And how do we respond? And as we've gone through Lamentations, the continuing kind of the drumbeat of 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 the, the response to suffering is that God's people need to cling to Christ. And indeed, this morning, as we reflect on unanswered prayer, as we see the, the suffering that takes place in Jerusalem, where prayers are not seeming to be heard, as we reflect on our own difficulties, when prayers are not seeming to be heard, we must cling to Christ. Right? And, and we, we recognize that as we cling to Christ, as we are in the midst of, of painful circumstances, whether that's a, a physical ailment or, or something else, or, or we, we recognize that we have a hope in, in an unanswered prayer, right? Uh, as I am, am spending time praying to the Lord, and, and it seems that the Lord is, is not answering my request, or at least not doing what I, I think ought to happen, I have a hope or I have a, um, a strong desire of what I would like to see happen. And I'll say that negatively first, um, you know, we recognize that at times our prayers are not answered because we have a lack of faith. Now, I want to be a little careful. I don't mean to say that um, if we just believe hard enough, then we've twisted the Lord's arm and he will do as we want. Rather, when I, what I'm saying here is, uh, and this is coming from James uh, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, as we think about uh, making requests to the Lord, you know, we pray and we do not receive because we don't, do not believe. You, we don't have faith that the Lord will act. Um, we don't have faith that the Lord would provide. Our faith is lacking in substance. It's just not there. Or if it is there, when we ask, and this again is in James, we ask with impure motives. You know, I, I, I know I've said this before, but I, I remember as a kid thinking, uh, you know, when missionaries would come to the church or you know, present, they would always ask for money. And I would kind of scratch my head and I would just wonder at that. And I'd say, well, shouldn't missionaries be like millionaires and stuff? Like, they're the people that are sharing the gospel. They're the people that are doing what the Lord wants. 
surely he's going to like, I mean, the money's just going to flow in. It wouldn't surprise you that as I thought that about missionaries, my own prayers were for things that I could eat or taste or touch or a new car or you, you know, things that, that satisfied my own desires, right? I, I, I was treating the Lord like a giant ATM in the sky that he would just give me money when I needed it. And, and so we understand that as we have unanswered prayers, sometimes there's a, there's a negative aspect to our unanswered prayer where either we do not believe or we ask with impure motives, and the Lord doesn't answer or, or says no. But there's also a positive hope in unanswered prayer, right? There's a hope that the Lord is going to be doing something. But as we hope for that, we first acknowledge that the wait is often miserable, and this is true from, from small to large, right? Whether it's in the morning when you're running a few minutes late and you're walking to the, the, the car and you reach in your pocket and you realize that not only are your keys not in your pocket, you have no clue where they are. And you cry out, Lord, help me find my keys as the seconds continue to tick and you're getting later and later and later and you're getting more and more angry, right? And Today, on Sunday morning, you, you say, well, that's a silly example, and I would never do that. On Wednesday, when it happens, you know, you'll remember, right, this is an unanswered prayer that causes some amount of frustration and suffering. We also see it, though, where we have expectations that the Lord is going to do something, and, and you know, I'm thinking, well, what about prayer vigils? where we're asking the Lord to intercede for the health of, of, of a loved one or an acquaintance. And, and we pray and we pray and we pray. Or the steadfast prayer over the years that the Lord would change the, the hearts of an unbeliever, maybe a coworker or family member. And it just doesn't seem that the Lord is answering that prayer. As we reflect on those moments, we have a positive hope in prayer, right? The, the, the negative hope in prayer is that the Lord would not give me, the reason that, that a prayer is unanswered is that I don't want the Lord to give me something I ought not have. But the positive hope is in the deliverance of the Lord. Great or small, we have this hope that the Lord would deliver us from present trials, difficulties, suffering. Again, it ranges from the, the, the small end of the, the lost car key to, to the failure of a nation and the collapse of a society, which we see here in Jeremiah, or in Jeremiah's writing of Lamentation. I think as Jeremiah is writing this, as he's reflecting on, on the Lord's loving kindness that doesn't cease, but in the total and utter failure of the society, such that he says, my eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction of the daughter of my, my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping. He goes on further in 51 to say, my eyes bring pain to my soul. 
because of all the daughters of my city. You're just, just looking out at devastation and it causing deep and abiding pain and misery. How, how does Jeremiah see the way forward? I have to imagine that he would have been thinking about one of the, the words of, of one of his predecessors. And that's Isaiah, right? Isaiah ministered in, in, in uh, Israel, same geographic location, but a different or generation. As Isaiah was ministering, the threat was not Babylon, but Assyria. And we understand that when Isaiah was ministering, the Lord delivered the people from difficulty, but also promised a future deliverance. And we see in Isaiah 61 some of the character of that deliverance. I'll read it again. This is Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to those who are weeping because of what they've seen and they can't stop, someone's coming to preach good news, to, to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jeremiah would have known something about captives. They've just been led off to Babylon. To proclaim a favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them garland instead of ashes. And, and on and on. Jeremiah, as he's seeing the destruction of the nation, I, I, as he's calling out to the Lord and saying, Lord, help, listen to our prayer, I can't help but think Isaiah 61 is part of what he has in mind. It's, it's, it's the deliverance of the Lord that brings comfort and peace to the soul, to the broken heart, to the one who is suffering. Now, as we recognize this, uh, as we recognize that, that Jeremiah would have had words like Isaiah 61 to bring some crumb of comfort to him, to, to a promise of future deliverance, we recognize the words of Jesus, right? And this is in Luke 4. We remember that as Jesus is starting his public ministry, the scroll of Isaiah is given to him, and he opens it, and he reads, and he reads from these verses in Isaiah and then rather than expound upon them and talk about the future that is to come, he says, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. They happen. They're, they're fulfilled in Jesus. Now, as we think about Jesus in the process of fulfilling Isaiah 61... As we think about Jesus as, you know, as the one who brings about the deliverance that Jeremiah would so much crave in Lamentations, we have to recognize that Jesus, more than anyone in the world, teaches us about a separation between sin and suffering. What do I mean? Jesus didn't sin. And yet Jesus suffered, 
right? And, and when we think about how Jesus suffered, uh, he suffered in similar ways to Jeremiah in the, in the book of Lamentations, where, where he sees the, the, the radical apostasy of the culture. You know, Jesus, as he engaged with the culture, he does so not in a sinful acceptance of the, the sin around him, uh, a celebration of the wickedness of the culture, but, but where he looks at the culture and he sees that it is, way, it is wayward, it is far from the Lord, and he weeps, right? The Gospels tell us that he looks on Jerusalem and he weeps because they are like sheep without a shepherd, right? Jesus understood the waywardness of the people and it grieved him. But we also recognize that Jesus suffered on an individual level. Not to, to overstate the obvious, Jesus was human. So things like getting tired, getting hungry, um, digestive difficulties, what, you know, sickness, he would have been subject to. Uh, but he didn't just feel suffering in those sorts of ways. He also felt pain. And he felt the wrath of God poured out upon him so that his people, by faith, would be made righteous. But note also that Jesus felt the burden of unanswered prayer. Now, what am I getting at? We remember, right, when Jesus is in the garden, this is Matthew 26, 39, as, he, as he's wrestling with, with what he's about to undergo He says what? He says, you know, Lord, if it's, if it's possible, right, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will. He says, and I'll quote, my, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And we can sit here and say, you know, well, the, the, you know, his prayer is that the Lord's will would be done. And whatever the Lord wants, we, he wants. But we also recognize in this prayer that there's the request that if there is any other way, if I don't have to suffer, I don't want to. I think this helps us understand that Jesus knew full well what was before him and he did not enter into this suffering as some sort of pain-loving madman. You know, as we think about the early church, there were a couple of heresies that, that either saw Jesus as like a divine being in a person suit, like he wasn't really human, he, he, he just was kind of looked like a human, so he didn't feel pain, or he didn't, uh, or that, that there were early church uh, heresies that saw that Jesus uh, was substituted at the last minute, that he really didn't suffer on the cross. I think we, we see in Jesus' prayer here that that is not the case, that that is not uh, what is going on. We see that Jesus understands what, what is about to happen to him, and he's wrestling with it, 
And we see what happens. He says, if there's a way for this to pass from me. And the answer to that is, there is not. So in that unanswered clause of a prayer, all of our hope exists. Because as the Lord pours out His wrath upon the Lord Jesus, and as He suffers in that way, we see that He brings about those words of Isaiah. He accomplishes the deliverance of God's people. And so for all of us, as we enter into this sort of same sort of, 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 of circumstance where our prayers are, are not answered, we recognize our hope that the Lord would be working, but then we also see in the Lord Jesus that the Lord does in fact work and bring about our righteousness so that in Christ we have hope, we have eternal life, we have peace, even in the midst of present discomfort. So how do we continue? How do we move forward in prayer, or with this unanswered prayer. We fix our eyes on Jesus, right? As we consider ongoing obedience, as we consider ongoing dependence on the, on the Lord, particularly in light of the difficulties of life, we look to Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus, right? He endured suffering. He endured, and this was mental, this is physical, this is, this is the wrath of God poured out for him, or, or poured out upon him, and he did so not growing weary or losing heart. And so we look to him who endured all for us, and by the power of his Spirit, we follow him in obedience. Now, as we, we think about this, you know, again, as we spoke last week, we do have to ask, is the Lord reproving us for sin? In Lamentations, you know, Jeremiah talking about the nation is saying, we need to repent. We've, we, we are wayward. We are wicked. We need to turn to the Lord and repent. So we ask, Lord, are, are you reproving us? We also need to see if this present difficulty, if its purpose is to produce in us a greater dependence upon the Lord. Now, we've, we've spoken of, of some of this throughout the weeks, and, and these are those momentary light afflictions that never appear momentary or light that are producing in us an eternal weight of glory. So as we suffer and as we wrestle with the suffering that is in the world around us, we continue to cling to the Lord with the knowledge of what the Lord has already done in making us righteous by His life, death, and resurrection, and that at His return, all things will be made right, and there will be no more suffering and pain. And we rejoice at that, the, 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 the reality of what has been accomplished in the promise of what is to come. And as we think about that, we then recognize that those momentary light afflictions that aren't, you know, they don't seem momentary in light, that they're producing in us an eternal weight of glory. They're producing in us a godly character. 
And again, I think of this, and this is probably because I have small children, but as a parent disciplining a child, and not even disciplining a child, but speaking about reality as a child is struggling, you know, that when things don't go right, we can say, well, you know, this is building character. Oh, you know, doing the dishes, that's character building. You know, cleaning your room, that's character building. You know, not always succeeding, but then learning to try and try and try, that's character building. And pretty soon, a child says, you know, mom and dad, I think I've got enough character. But we, we, we rightly recognize that we don't get to pick how much character is required. <laughs> Just as our kids don't, so we don't. But we trust that the Lord and bringing us through the difficult circumstances of life, whether that is on an individual level or whether that is on a societal level, is bringing about a proven character within us. And our hope then is only found when we cling to the Lord Jesus. And as we wrestle with unresolved desires, as we wrestle with unanswered prayer, and and we're at the moment of despair, and we're thinking, Lord, are you really listening? Are you really there? Because it's the middle of the week, and I can't find my car keys, and the car has crashed, and and life is a mess, and and I've had it. Are you there? Something that helps me, and I pray it helps you, is that we remember that the Lord sent His Son to die for us. And in sending His Son to die for us, His Son has spilled His blood that we might know the Lord and be made righteous before the Lord. The Lord will not waste the blood of His Son And spilling it upon the cross if he does not see his people through. He won't waste the blood of his son and abandon us. Why? One, because he loves us. Two, because he loves his son. And and three, because of just the reality that Christ has died for us. So that when the Lord looks upon us. He sees his son. I think the the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, actually describes this far more eloquently than I could. And this is the, the final verse. And it says this, The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. The The soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, No, never forsake. If we are in seasons of life that feel an awful lot like Lamentations 3, when when the the sky above us seems like bronze, when the, the ground beneath us seems like iron, and there is no comfort or peace before us, behind us, or in any direction we look, We need to lean on Jesus for repose because the Lord will never, no never, 
No, never forsake. Amen.